0: The Disciplined Investor is underwritten by Interactive Brokers' Stock Yield Enhancement Program. Earn extra income on the fully paid shares of stock in your brokerage account. Open an Interactive Brokers account today and learn more about it at ibkr.com s-y-e-p. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz and Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz and Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. The Fed says, do not dread. Rates are going to stay low for a long time, baby. Markets moving to new highs on earnings, cheap money, and a great jobs report. Buybacks are hitting a record this quarter, and we're getting back to basics. All this and much more on episode number 739 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. And a very good day to you. Daylight Savings Time is here. Hey, and so am I. Andrew Horowitz is the name, sitting in the host chair today and always. What's missed mean that, well, I'm the host of the show. Good times, hopefully for you, your family. Good financial times. I mean, things are looking pretty good of late with regard to the markets. Overall, we're seeing a substantial uptrend that has ensued, and it's because of a lot of reasons. Of course, we have a very kind Fed. Of course, we have a situation where we're seeing every day more of the reopening that's going on across the world. Some places not so much, but in general, lots of good news on the vaccine front, on the, uh, on, the on the on the on the medications. So that's good. Now I'll tell you, even that we saw some things that were really encouraging. You know, something I was really discouraged about. Something that kind of got to me a little bit because I was like, what is going on? I mean, I thought we were beyond this to a degree, but maybe not. And maybe there's a good reason. And that was Halloween. I found it a bit disappointing. We had a total of three trick-or-treaters, which is 100% more than last year. Last year, there was none. I don't, maybe there's one. But so we're better statistically, we're 300% better than it was last year. But I guess people are still a little concerned and everybody has their own level of what they're willing to do. And, you know, the news that we saw this week on the end of the week, on top of the fact that we saw a good jobs number down in the 4.6% range, 500,000 added to the payrolls a revision for the last couple of months of up about 200,000, all really good piece of information. But we also saw news out of Pfizer, which is showing that they have some kind of drug that eh, combined with another drug is going to avert a lot of the COVID hospitalizations. For those who are found to be positive with COVID, you could take this pill with up into, I think it's five days. We'll find out more about this. It's very new information. And the... 89% or so effectiveness of this drug on preventing long-term hospitalizations and overall deaths in a relatively small group. I think there was 1,500 patients that were studied, but that's still very good. But again, we're going to have to wait to hear more on this. And that's what you have right now. A lot of good news. A lot of things have been baked in. Bad news, as we know, is discounted entirely and it turned into a wonderful week for equities. In fact, the last two to three weeks, everyone's happy, right? New highs, client portfolios, your portfolio is looking really good, and the wealth effect is strong, and that's a good thing. But I was thinking about something, before we get to what we're talking about today, the heart and, and core of what we're going to be talking about, which is back to basics, I was thinking about something. And I was thinking about this idea that what if? What if the wealth effect is actually so strong that it actually keeps people from returning to work? Maybe there's a there's a subset of people that got money during the, pandem- the pandemic and decided, you know what, the hell with this, I'm not going to work for anybody. I'm I'm not going to do anything because what I did was I pushed all that money into the markets when the markets were low. Maybe I bought some some coins some of the crypto, and then the money train kept on rolling in. And what happened was that now I have enough money, whether I did that or maybe in my 401k plan or somehow some other way that I am just not in the mood to go to work for anybody else to listen to their crap. I'll do it on my own or for a while longer. I'm going to see what it's like to retire or semi-retire. Move myself out of the workforce and I don't care the hell with it. And you have to wonder if that is going to be a long-term damper on the unemployment rate, the statistics that go into the processing of what we view as the most important number of the week of the month, right? This unemployment situation, aside from any kind of Fed move and and, and language to the contrary or any kind of significant Fed nod towards tightening, clearly the unemployment rate and the employment numbers are by all accounts, what the markets look at as the most important number, it's an exact read on what is going on with the confidence of companies and the ability for companies to say, yeah, we're willing to pick up people, we're willing to bring people on because we see that not just one day or two days or a week, but months down the road, things are looking good enough that we could support extra employees. So that's why it's so important. And again, I just kind of want to start watching and paying attention to What we're finding in the the great resignation, as they call it, right? You've seen this this idea that people are just fed up and not desirous of going back to work. They're thinking that there's something better. Why should I have to work for X amount per hour or salary of, of X amount per year? When in fact, I can be a lot happier, maybe taking up a hobby working on my own, trying to figure out what it is exactly that I'm going to do. This rat race is just not for me. And you see this going on time and time again. Something to watch as we consider what the Fed is going to do because we know they are laser focused on the jobs numbers because they've admitted that their inflation number has been hit. They talked about it this week that you know there's still slack in the economy but they're going to start by reducing down the overall quantitative easing program by about 15 billion dollars per month now remember something that drop of 15 billion dollars per month is going to take them down from 120 billion down to 90 billion 95 75 60, whatever the number is, think about this. Four months down the road, this is going to be pumping massive amount of liquidity in the markets. It's going to take months and months. And they were very clear to explain, very absolute about saying, you know what? We are going to keep interest rates low for an extended period of time. We do not see quote unquote liftoff. Do not confuse the fact that we are going to be slowing down our quantitative easing program with this. So just keep that in the background, something to think about. And as we are going through this market uptrend, a lot of people have been asking, hey, are we overbought? And I think, yeah, the answer is clearly yes. In a short-term setup, we look at something called the key reversal indicator, an indicator that I built based on technical and um, charting indicators, sentiment, psychological indicators to come up with where it is that things are stretched. And I utilize this to find out, okay, where are we in the market cycle on a short-term basis, on a daily basis? And we're clearly seeing that there is this overbought Because we've seen 10 days without any meaningful downside for markets. I'm not talking about a correction or a crash. I'm talking about a break from the rampant buying that's been going on. And we're seeing readings of plus four, plus five. We're seeing things on the chart that I call clusters that are forming. All in the context of an uptrend. You have to realize that this uptrend has been going on for a very long period of time. So when we talk about this overbought situation, usually what you have to find is markets willing to cool for a while, work off the froth. And yeah, in October, we did break that trend line to the downside for a moment. Actually, in September, into October, we broke it. Then it popped right back and recovered pretty quickly. But now we're seeing the KRI, the key reversal indicator with plus five. I've only seen a plus seven once, plus six a few times, plus five many times. But once you get into that plus five and plus six level, seven's the top, negative seven is the lowest, zero is markets in equilibrium. So kind of figure that. Usually we see when you get to the level of plus five clusters forming, so right now we're kind of a Friday closing in a plus four, probably going to see an average of four for the week overall, it seems to me, when you look at the totality of the last couple of weeks. These are the these are the numbers you usually see right before a breakdown. And, and again, it can be a small breakdown and then a consolidation. But we need to see markets chill for a little while. So right now, is it time to jump in? You know, there are things that you could buy that are good. I mean, if you find the good stocks that have growth potential – That doesn't mean one day or another is better or worse. But just, uh, you know, consider that there may be opportunities that are forming out there. Markets need to just get a little bit in a consolidation mode. All right, so I promise you we're going to talk about back to basics because here we are towards the end of the year. What better time after a great run where if you just left things on autopilot for a little while didn't make too many changes. Had an equity position that was right for you, for your level of risk. Things are doing pretty well for you so far. Not a lot to think about, fortunately, this year. I think that we're going to start to see a lot more concern enter the markets into next year for a lot of different reasons. And I think next year, really, you got to be on your toes. That doesn't mean starting tomorrow is not going to happen. But very soon, you're really going to have to be a little bit more discerning. Of where you're investing, right now you probably spread out a lot, a lot of different investments. If you're an equity investor in stocks in particular, you bought a lot of things, and uh, you know you saw things that did very well for you, and then you have things that like a, uh, a Peloton got absolutely obliterated, Moderna, thrashed and crashed, BioNTech. Merck last week. You know we're looking at some of these names that really got beat up pretty well. So next year is going to have to be, or starting soon, I think it's going to have to be a little bit more discerning as liquidity is pulled out of the markets. But again, it's a good time to get back to basics. What even do I mean by that? Well, take that moment of, of just, 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 a, just a pause. Just a, okay, what's happening in my life? What are the things that I need to take a look at every so often to make sure that not only am I financially secure and my investments are doing well and all that but the things that kind of sit on the sidelines. And we're going to talk about things like estate planning. We're going to talk about that today. We're talking about end of year tax planning. We've got a great guest Dan Pila, coming on board for that. We're going to talk about in another episode ways to save, talk about 401k's, IRA's, things of that nature. Um, and we're going to also talk about the the idea of, hey, should I be looking at ETFs and mutual funds or individual stocks and kind of give you a little bit of lay of the land on the differences, the benefits, and the detractions of each of those. So that's what we're kind of going to put into part and parcel of the next few episodes. But today we're going to talk about estate planning. And I want to start with this, this four or five things that really are key to a, a good estate plan. And uh, you may need some of these. You may need one of these, two of these. In some cases, not even any. It all depends on really where you are, what your status is in life. Are you single? Are you married? Do you have kids? Do you have grandkids? What's your age? Where are you in life? How much money do you have? Where are the assets? These are all considerations when we think about where we need to look at in terms of buttoning up our estate plan. Now in no particular order there are things that probably we could look at to make sure that we are in good shape and some of these are 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 for anyone like this one the idea of a healthcare proxy some some people call it a healthcare surrogate because whether you're single or married it typically doesn't matter you need to have somebody that you can designate as an alternative individual to make healthcare Uh, The decisions, if you're unable to. Now, this is not a living will. This is decisions on things like medication or surgery. Uh, It could be even types of um, uh, like medical, uh, the procedures, medical procedures. It could be, be aligned with that. But someone has to have the authority that you grant in order to Make those decisions, unless it is your spouse, let's say in some cases. But let's say you're single and you're 30 years old. You're no longer a minor, so really your parents don't necessarily have the authority to make decisions for you. Who's going to do that? Maybe you're unconscious, God forbid. Maybe something happened, you're unable to. Maybe you just, whatever happened, it's an emergency circumstance. Now, in some life saving emergency circumstance, of course, it's going to be done anyway, but I'm talking about in other circumstances. And before I go any further with any of this, I want to make sure I'm very clear about I am not, nor is it is to be assumed in any way that this is legal advice. You should be going to an attorney. You should be going to someone who can help you make these decisions. What I'm doing here is giving you a brief overview of what it is that you could be looking at. Some of the things that are important and then take it one step further, go find someone who is qualified to not only write and execute and help you with all this, but give you the advice that you need. Again, this is just for educational purposes, information. I am not providing any legal advice, nor am I be, uh, saying that this is any kind of a um, of, of consideration of of legal advice that where you wouldn't use an attorney. I am suggesting you go see an attorney and talk about some of these things. So with that in mind, another another instrument, another idea that I really think that you should look at is um, something called a durable power of attorney. It's different than the healthcare proxy or the healthcare surrogate. So what this does is now give specific powers to someone that you designate as soon as it's put into place, as soon as you execute this document. So there's a general power of attorney that maintains its power even through an, infirm- an infirmity. So basically you can create this situation. There's a couple of different ways to do this. There's something called a springing power. There's a durable power. There's a general power. There's a limited power. All these different ways to create this essentially allow someone else at a certain time and circumstance to have a power of attorney for you so they could do things like maybe sign a document, maybe sign some checks, maybe look at uh, making a business arrangement when you're unable to. So for example, maybe you're you're infirm, something happens and you're in the middle of a deal of some sort, anything. Maybe it's just simply paying bills. Maybe it's just taking money out of the bank. What this does is it allows for that party to act on your behalf. And the durable power of attorney, because many of these will cease as existence when you're unable, um, and in certain mental, physical situations, it will stop, right? So the general power will just stop under that. Well, the durable is durable through an infirmity. So if you're unable to maintain your finances for one reason or another, This gives the power to someone else. And of course, you could also take this away whenever you want. But setting this up provides a much easier process for your family. So let me give you an example of what could happen, where this can go really sideways for you, where the problems lie and why you'd want to look at something like this. Because let's say that uh, you're unable to, for whatever reason, To make decisions due to an infirmity, an infirmer, um, some kind of infirmity, or some kind of uh, situation that comes on, and you're 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 bedridden for an extended period of time. I don't know. Maybe you have a stroke. Could be a hundred different things, and you don't have this document. And maybe you're not married, or maybe you are married, and your wife really, or your husband, depending on which side it is, maybe doesn't have access to this particular situation that you're working on that you need money from, or it could be a hundred different things again. And all of a sudden now you have to get a court order and you have to go through the process to prove that you are incapacitated and unable to make these decisions. I mean, then you got to go through a whole entire process of getting doctors. Now this not only is, is, is open it's in courts, it's in public view. It's embarrassing and time-consuming. And not only that, financially a problem, you got to pay the attorneys to go through this process for you. So when you get a durable power of attorney, kind of solve some of those problems. Again, there are different ways to set this up. And I told you, and I'm going to tell you again, I'm not providing you any legal advice here at all. I'm just giving you some information, education. You go take the next step. Talk to your attorney about the list that we're going to talk about. Now, if you have a pen, I'm going to tell you a few right now and list them all, and then we'll go back. Because we have a healthcare proxy we talked about. Just now I talked about a durable power of attorney. There's a will. There's a living trust. And a living will. Those are the fab five. So let's go through now the next point, which is a will. A lot of people think, hey, you know, I'm going to do estate planning. What am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to write, I'm going to get a will. I'm going to go to the attorney, I'm going to get a will. I'm going to write myself a will. I'm going to, you know, scroll something up, put it in the safety deposit box. When they open it up when I die, they'll say, okay, you get 5000 you get the jewelry, you get the watches, take the cars over there, the house goes to this one. You know, it's all listed down. You can write it, sign it, maybe even have it witnessed by somebody, you're in good shape. Well, a couple of things to note. The big issue with wills is it is you know a probateable document, which means you have to go through the probate system, which is a legal process approving assets and where they are, and a whole bunch of other things that go along for distribution. It basically goes through the courts for approval, and you have to hire attorneys. And attorneys will charge you anywhere from I don't know one, two, three, four percent of the assets, or of maybe um, small, uh, small probates, they'll charge you a flat fee. But it doesn't avoid probate. And probate is, again, a very public and very cost-prohibitive situation that is just unnecessary. Now, if you have nothing else but a will and that's all you have, at least you're somewhere because you die without a will. It's called being intestate, where basically there are rules state by state that show you where, by law, assets will be distributed. Husband, wife, kids, sister, brother, aunts, uncles, parents, cousins. You know, it's all listed down of where in the totality of the arrangement those monies are paid to. Now, you can actually, if you want to go one step further, and there's a few things that are really interesting what I'm going to talk about here, avoid the probate. Now, you'll need a will anyway because you're going to have something called what's called a pour-over will. A pour-over will says basically anything that is not in a living trust or a named asset will pour over to my living trust, which we're going to talk about. Because a living trust basically is created to avoid the probate process. There's a couple other things in there also that are really interesting. Like, for example, you name co-trustees and successor trustees. Therefore, if there is an incapacity, the fact is we don't have to worry about the durable power of attorney necessarily. The co-trustee or the successor trustee can actually manage the assets that are inside of the trust. And when you set up this trust, a living trust, most times when you have a brokerage account or a bank account or any other asset, they're basically in the name of the living trust. The Andrew Horowitz living trust dated January 1st, 2021. The Andrew and Jill Horowitz living trust dated, whatever whatever it is, whatever you call it, the tax ID on it is your tax ID. You can change it anytime you want. You can revoke it anytime you want. All it is, I want you to think about this for a second, is like putting a different name on your assets for whatever reason that is equal to you anyway. But because there is a variety of declarations inside of that trust the very nature of what happens to the assets that you have which will first and foremost say that you have all rights on the assets to do whatever you want with them aside from that it will talk about well what happens upon death who gets what and you can spell it out hey Any living child over the age of 35 will get 10% of my assets per year split this way. My jewelry goes here. All debts will go there. Taxation issues in terms of if your estate is at a point where there could be estate taxes are going to be addressed. What happens if you're incapacitated? Well, you could just give up the reins. The successor trustee takes over, and therefore there's a smooth passage of the obligations, responsibilities of the assets within the trust. So even if you have this incapacity, the then acting trustee takes over. The assets will be owned by the trust, but you will still have full control of the monies. The, there is no separate uh, tax form that has to be utilized each year because the money in what's called a grantor trust will essentially, or is essentially yours, and therefore There is no differential in terms of your taxes. And again, while this mechanism ensures the assets passing smoothly upon your demise, you can change anything you want at any time, which is different, and I want to place this in your minds for a moment, we talked about this called be calling uh, a a revocable living trust, a revocable living trust, different than an irrevocable trust. Revocable, irrevocable. We're not talking about the irrevocable kind where you can't change anything. And many clients really like this idea of a living trust, but there's also, they ask the question, which you may be asking, is there an easier way to deal with all this? These beneficiary issues, et cetera, because I understand that if I don't have anything at all and I have accounts, how do we name where the money goes? Well, you could do it through a will possibly. but yeah, you told me that the will goes through the probate process. yes, well, okay, we could do a living trust, but I don't know. I don't have that much money. Do I really need to do a living trust to I don't have that many I don't have kids or or, or I don't I don't really find this to be a, a terrible need right now. what could I do it a little easier and maybe, maybe durable, durable power of attorney, yeah, you can. I'm going to tell you about that. It's kind of interesting what you could do that a lot of people don't know about, kind of some hidden secrets of the investing world, the brokerage world. Because a lot of this comes down to the beneficiaries and how you want to allow for the beneficiaries to gain access. Nobody wants this stretching out months and years for your heirs or the people that you want to get your money after you pass to get their money. Nobody wants to deal with the, the legal system, the, the aggravation, the cost, the courts. The fact that it's public, it has to be published. You don't want any of that. No, people don't want that. So there's a way to deal with this be between wills and living trust and a couple other things. But before we get to that, I want to talk about interactive brokers. And I want to call to the attention all the registered investment advisors, (RAAs) that are listening. I know we have a good amount of people in that area. Sector, Because a lot of your clients are probably asking you for, hey, what about crypto? Can I invest in crypto? How do I do it? At Interactive Brokers, advisors can now offer crypto to their clients. And you can trade stocks and options and futures, currencies, bonds, and even more from the same platform. Commissions on crypto are just 12 to 18 basis points with no hidden spreads or markups and there are no ticket charges there are no custody fees or minimums platform or reporting fees i want you to do me a favor all the rias the registered investment advisors go and learn more at ibkr.com/ria crypto that's ibkr.com/ria crypto back to the estate planning back to basics let's talk about where we left off on the idea of an easier way to put beneficiaries on your accounts without going through the whole process of a will and a living trust. Now, this is just one way to do it. Remember, you probably still want some of these other estate planning techniques and documents to cover other areas. But here's what is interesting. You probably know about life insurance, right, where... When you set up a life insurance policy, what is the first thing you do? What are the beneficiaries? Who are the beneficiaries? Where is the money going to upon your death? It's easy, right? It's easy peasy. What happens is as soon as you pass and you own a life insurance policy, a death certificate, and maybe a couple other small items are given to the insurance company. The insurance company then processes that. They say, okay, well, you know, John Jones, he died on this day. Policies is enforced and paid for. It's good, uh, paid right to the beneficiaries that were on the document. The contract says who the money goes to. There's no probate. There's no problems. Money is sent out. After a few forms are filled out, you're done. Very easy. Now, the same goes with the beneficiary on other accounts. Maybe you have an IRA. You have a 401k. You've seen this before. There's something called the beneficiary designation. Boom. Money goes right out upon death. It's really easy. But did you know also there's a way to make sure that the money passes very easily without all that special legal mumbo-jumbo and, and and all the, the documents and costs and all that. And the attorneys, the courts, no trusts, there's no wills. Because brokerage accounts and bank accounts have something very similar, not exactly the same, but they have number one, an account titling. If you're married, for example, or maybe you uh, are sharing the assets. What something is called a joint tenants with rights of survivorship. Joint tenants, J T W R O S. Joint tenants, two people, with rights. Each has a right of survivorship of the asset. So, myself and uh, Mary have a hundred thousand dollars in a bank account. And we label it joint tenants with rights to survivorship. I die, Mary gets the money immediately. There's also joint tenancy, tenants in common, different ways to set this all up. Essentially, it's a titling on an account. Whereas you're not necessarily naming a beneficiary in this way, but you're naming the title so that the ownership of the money passes. Now, you don't want to necessarily do this, let's say, with a large chunk of money just for the sake of doing it for the beneficiary designation in this, because once you do this, both parties have ownership of the money. It could be considered a gift for estate tax purposes and estate gift tax purposes. So you want to use that sparingly when there really are two people that own the account, and that's usually done automatically. The money passes on death to the other party. It's simple. All you do is present a death certificate. Now, there's more. It gets more interesting. What happens if both die and only, there's only, you know, that those people that are named on the account? Well, you can actually handle this. Now, there's two scenarios I want to bring up. Number one, you have two people that are on an account and both, buy, both die, both pass. Or an individual on an account, not an IRA, because we know there's beneficiary designations that are built in there that are automatic and required, but this is an individual brokerage account or an individual bank account. And you have your own name on it. And what do you do? How do you then make sure money passes to a named beneficiary? Well, uh, a lot of people don't know this. And sometimes even the brokerages don't know this, something called a designated beneficiary account. Sometimes we used to call it a POD account, a pay-on-death account. But now they call it designated beneficiary. Some of the banks may still call it a a TOD or a POD, transfer-on-death, pay-on-death. Ask your bank if they have that designation available. If they do, you can fill out and put a variety of beneficiaries on there, split it up any way that you want, and not only put what's called a primary beneficiary, but put even the secondary beneficiary. What happens if you die, the beneficiary dies, and then where's it go? And even if you want to extend it out a little further, we call it the tertiary beneficiary, primary, secondary, tertiary. You could do that. With a brokerage account, just ask them for a designated beneficiary account. You could write in your beneficiary, again, with the contingent beneficiaries, and money will go directly to them without probate. So we've covered durable power of attorneys, healthcare proxies, wills, living trusts, alternative beneficiary titlings to make sure that you are set in the event that you don't want to do the above. And the last thing that we could talk about, which nobody really wants to deal with, I don't blame you, is a living will. Now, this is important. Oftentimes when you enter a hospital and you're going to maybe go in for surgery or something, they usually ask you this first and foremost. Do you have two things? They'll ask for a, maybe even three things, a healthcare proxy, a durable power of attorney, and a living will. And if you don't have one, they'll kind of present you with a templated document a lot of times to fill out that's not usually the best way to do things. You want to probably go ahead and do this ahead of time. Now, a living will is clearly a matter of opinion, your personal preference. It could prove important down the road, though. A living will essentially allows medical professionals and hospitals to remove you from artificial mechanisms and ventilators and other extraneous resuscitation measures if you're terminally ill terminally ill and die it's what's called a DNR right a do not resuscitate if that is your particular wish if you're terminally ill and again there's a lot of legal language that goes into this and you do have your heart stops let's say while you're in the hospital or maybe it could be anywhere if you have a living will it will give instructions that are legally binding to the medical professionals, to the hospitals, and that's a tough thing to really deal with. Most people are like listen. Do me a favor. Well, a lot of not most people, some people keep me alive as long as you can until they figure out what the cure is. If you have to, if you have to freeze me, and and, and I need to be in a, a cryo grave, and then try to resuscitate me, that that's fine also. But uh, don't take me off the ventilators. And there's other people who say, you know what, I do not want to be a burden. If it is a case where there is no chance for a good survival, maybe uh, you have your heart's beating but the brain isn't working or whatever's happening, you want a DNR and you want no excess measures taken to extend life. Again, all up to you. But these are all part of the decisions that, you know, Back to basics. We think about these things every so often. Doesn't have to be changed that often, but you know what? We need to realize that there's an end of life that's built in to this mechanism, right? The human being has an absolute end of life in it, and therefore we need to plan for it. We don't want to have a burden to our families financially, decision-making wise, or psychologically. Make sure this is all set up, and I don't care if you're 22, 30, 50, or 70, these are things you really should take a moment and think about. I give you five things and a couple of bonus item areas that I think are really important for you to consider. Things that really, if you take the time to do it, get it over with, meet with the attorneys, make some decisions, they'll bang it out, it will cost you some money. Put it into your safety deposit box. Give them a copy. Scan it these days like we do. Put it away until all of a sudden there's a major change in your life. Maybe it's a situation where you've decided that, wait, oh, you know what? Now I have grandchildren. Or, hey, I've changed my job. My financial situation is different than it was. One of my kids is not really on the right path. I want to create some trusts within my trust so they don't spend the money. Something called a spendthrift trust as an example so they don't go through their money and blast through it because they're not fiscally responsible. These are things that you could do. And you can have it so that it's not resting on the shoulders of someone else to make that decision. Sometimes what they call these kinds of things is ruling from the grave. You put things uh, inside of your trust. Again, you say something like, hey, you know what, until they're 35 years old or married or graduated college or whatever you want, they're not going to get the money outright. They'll get a certain amount per year or whatever it is. You could think of all sorts of ways to distribute, all sorts of ways to create or just pass it right on. But either way, it makes it an easy process to deal with. And it's a decision that you can make. It's not that difficult. Don't put it off. I know a lot of people say, I can't make a decision. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to just go to an attorney. Find someone who is not, not a real estate attorney. Let's make sure we're clear about this. You need an estate planning attorney, someone who is like, oh yeah, not not oh, I've done those before. No, not that. I want someone who specializes. Doesn't have to be high end. Specializes in wills and trusts and probate, and can create these for you. So think about that. Think about the idea of estate planning. Getting back to basics. I think that gives you a really good starting point and hopefully the motivation to get this done. Now, now I have a few questions that came in through the Ask Andrew over on the investor.com. And I think I'm going to hold them for a week or so. I want to get a few more that I really like that I think are very pertinent. So if the discussion we had today was relevant to you, it perked your interest a little bit. It gave you something to take a moment and say, hmm, that's interesting. Or if you have a question related to that, please do me a favor. I just want to have a pretty good list of this or anything related to taxes maybe, possibly talking about estate planning, maybe about which are the best ways to save for college, 529, or maybe a college pre-funded program. What is it? Anything you want to talk about. Go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com, click on the Ask Andrew button, and send in your question, because like I said, I want to have a good listing of items to discuss and to go through, and it's a perfect time for you to get that free advice, right? So go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com. All right, what else do we have to talk about? Uh, Finishing the week pretty well, a little bit of weakness uh, over the end of Friday, as we came towards the afternoon. Big question, who's going to be the next Fed leader? Are we going to be able to pass the stimulus bill with or without the CBO estimates? Big question going on right there. We are most of the way through earnings season. Things are looking pretty good on that light. Question is being raised, of course, is this as good as it gets? Is it going to get any better? Is it possible that we're going to see a substantial amount of opportunity arise, even though we're seeing a little bit of an economic slowdown and the uh, the, the persistent issues with the supply chain? Big questions that we're going to have to answer. Well, we're going to have to keep an eye on for all of that. One of the things that we're doing here is looking at areas of the portfolio that we need to adjust, of course, for our clients and where we are thinking that where is the next phase of this market going to take us. Because from all things considered, what happened with Zillow this week, I think, is a really – important time. It's it's one of those moments in in history that you have to say that is something different, where we're going to see a change, possibly in the appreciation of housing prices, and therefore what's going on with the flippers, and how that is going to affect maybe the ATM machines that are being used from the cashback and loans and secondary mortgages on homes. A lot of things we have to really consider right now as, as a moment where we're getting back to the full reopening, where we're seeing that airlines in the international space are at capacity. Yeah, there's still some airlines sitting idle, but people are going on cruises. They're flying and they're vacationing. They're doing, they're going, and now we even have the potential for this Pfizer drug. All these things put together are a moment in time where you really need to stop and consider where is the next the next market going. Is it going to be all about EVs all over again? Or is that kind of done? Is it going to be more about possibly greenhouse gases that are being diminished due to some of these bills and maybe looking at things like, well, renewable energy? A lot of issues right now. I think we're on the precipice at an incredibly important time when it comes to investing. And the only way that we could find out more is as time goes on. And, of course, listening to this show and DH Unplugged, myself and John C. Dvorak on Tuesday evenings, 9 o'clock live, also available on all your favorite podcasting apps, whether it's Amazon Podcast or Apple Podcast or Spotify, we're on there. Also, this show as well. Make sure to tell your friends. Make sure to tell your family. Getting ready for uh, Thanksgiving is the next big event, so you might as well... Hey, hey, you know what? I know a great podcast and bring it on to the family table during Thanksgiving. So, uh, hey, I want to thank you for joining me. We're going to end it right there. Next week, coming up, Dan Pilla. We're going to talk about taxes and tax planning into the end of the year. I know we don't want to do it. I know it's kind of tough, but it's necessary. And we want to make sure we are set to ensure that we're going to save as much tax as possible on the next tax return. So stay tuned for that and make sure to listen in if you haven't subscribed yet if you haven't left the response over on apple Podcasts, go check it out thanks so much for joining me. i'll see you again next week nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security past performance is no indication of future results in addition the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.